0: And welcome to the Plan a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim.
1: And I'm Hal Roster. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture.
0: The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planning and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits.
1: So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us.
0: Julie Snell is a certified arborist through the International Society of Aboriculture, co-founder and principal at Tend Landscape Incorporated, which is a woman owned landscape architecture firm in Philadelphia. She's also co-owner of Redbud Native Plant Nursery in Media, Pennsylvania, and is an adjunct instructor in the Department of Architecture and Environmental Design in the Tyler School of Art and Architecture at Temple University. In Julie's various roles, she is able to positively impact the environment by bridging the gap between landscape design, installation, and maintenance for municipalities with TEND while performing design uh, consultations and informal education sessions with homeowners at Redbud. Lastly, Julie helps to raise awareness of our urban ecology in the classroom. Julie has earned Julie has earned a BA in Fine Arts from Tyler School of Art from Temple University and earned a master's degree in landscape architecture from the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast, Julie. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor. Well, so getting started here, you have an illustrious career. Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) I know you worked with the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society at one point, on their green program. And uh, now you have your own companies, uh, two of them, um, one more recently uh, than your than TEND. And uh, tell us about how you see your role in promoting trees uh, and, and planting.
2: Yes, so there are a couple of different hats. And um, it's it's kind of cool. I mean, this time last year, I did not know I would be an owner of a nursery. So life is interesting, but I have to say, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, things worked out the way they did. Even with this year, we bought the nursery this winter and we planned to open in March. And that same week that we were going to open, we had to close for the stay-at-home order. So that was different. And as you said, we are still, my business partner and I, Lisa McDonald-Haynes, uh, at TEND, we're the same unit, right? So Lisa and I have TEND, and we started TEND about eight years ago. And uh, and then recently, Lisa and I also um, jumped into Redbud Native Plant Nursery. Lisa and I met when we were both working at the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. So we both are steeped in that sort of public landscape, that civic landscape, the, the importance to community. And that's how we, that's really where we where we learned everything that you need to know sort of not everything because you can't know everything but that's where we really got our basis in horticulture that was really an amazing place to work i worked there right out of graduate school and so getting a job at phs was um, such a gift i worked on a team all women at the time which i thought was great landscape architects horticulturists um arborists and because I was just out of graduate school, I had to make the decision if I was going to do, um, go for, sit for my license, my my LA license. And it was interesting, I decided not to do that then, uh, because of the team I was working on, I started being more interested in landscape management. And so I figured that was sort of taking me away a little bit from the design piece. And I didn't wanna be stuck behind a computer doing CAD work, so I decided that the management role would be better and then I paired that with with an arborist uh, certification. So that's sort of what I brought to that team then. And then starting Tend, that's that landscape management and uh, arborist training. That's what I brought to Tend, uh, coupled with Lisa's uh, landscape architecture training. We used to say, you know, three of us actually started it, so we were three legs to a stool, you know, and that's how it worked. <laughs> um, I've been working in public landscapes for a very long time, and appreciate, or I think that, you know, trees and landscape, they do so much work for us and we we don't realize that. Sometimes we don't even see them, but working out there in the public landscapes in Philadelphia, um, it was the constant sort of challenge of, you know, keeping them alive and planting them and pruning them and the benefits, you know, are palpable. You can be on a block with trees and then you go on a block that doesn't have any trees and it feels so different. But people aren't really connecting the dots that it's the lack of trees <laughs> you know or it's the trees that make it make it good i think right now what i'm focusing on focusing
0: more on is like how do we connect those dots for people <laughs> that's, that's good and that's also um encouraging because you know i i think when we when we think of trees we we don't think of them as living beings we think of them as things and right are actually living beings and they're providing uh, a service to us that we just take for granted mm-hmm. and um it, it goes back to when they were coming up with words for color this is a good example uh color the color green didn't come into play until much later because green was so uh omnipresent that they didn't need a name for it but something that was odd like red that came. Right so so that goes to tell you that we just take it for granted and you're right that having a block that doesn't have trees on it is markedly different than one that does have trees on it and it certainly affects how people act and how they walk through the environment too sure
2: sure what you were describing um makes me think i thought you were going to say plant blindness because that's how i explain it when I introduce it to the Temple students, right, um, something that I like to do with them is at the beginning of the semester, I ask them to pick out a tree on campus somewhere. And, you know, a tree that you can visit easily once a week. And I want you to visit that tree once a week and write down your observations and take a picture and just notice things. And it does take a, a while for, for that to happen. but and the responses were really interesting over the course of time because they didn't see it before and then they did right but it goes to this plant blindness idea whereas like the green in the background is static it doesn't move but the animal coming at you does move so that's sort of the origin of that plant blindness thing and it kind of f- fell to the background of not important
1: well that's a terrific exercise and you could explain you could expand the uh... Plant blindness to planet blindness, right? We're just oblivious <laughs> to everything that we're doing in terms of corroding our uh, resources.
0: Right, right. And our, our overall environment. That's very true. And I think it's a, a perfect um, complement to your landscape architecture that you would buy a nursery. <laughs> and and I happened to visit it the other week, which was really exciting. It's a really beautiful spot in Media, Pennsylvania, right on Providence Road. There, and uh, I think, I think that now that can go hand in hand with what you're working on. And and how do you see, how do you see that uh, as a progression for yourself and your colleague Lisa um, down the road?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was great to have you visit. Um... Eva and Hal a few weeks before that, so the nursery it, it was a little bit of a of a curveball, but once we saw it, we we saw all of the synergies and all of the overlapping interesting things. And you know, being a landscape architect or, or having a landscape architecture firm, you can be sort of out of the mix with plants. You know, you you're not actually touching them and you know in the midst of them every day, and that that distance can kind of erode a little bit your relationship with them and so having the opportunity to every day be with these plants and see you know how they're reacting and, and what they look like when they're at this stage and that stage and that stage i think it's a uh, it's only going to strengthen our practice our landscape ar- architecture practice and make us more valuable as a sort of on the teams with with others when we're doing you know public landscape work but you asked me also how do i see this in a, personally as my like progression from one place to another and I've been thinking a lot about this because when I was at PHS like I mentioned I was on the public landscapes team and that idea of public horticulture was so important to me that was where my heart was right I feel like civic landscapes are so important especially in an urban environment right um, and I w- was not interested at all in residential side of things right when we started tend our heart is in public landscapes and so we we tended towards that work, and we stayed in the public realm. And we did very little residential work. Now, with Redbud, it's a retail nursery that caters to mostly homeowners. So it's the complete opposite side of the coin. But in thinking, how do I draw these two things together, if I think about like the definition of what is public and what is sort of the greater good, I started thinking about um, Aldo Leopold and the land ethic and how he defines community, right? So we understand the idea of community, you know, we're part of nature and and this is our community. So in public landscapes, that's easy to see, right? But if you start talking about residential landscapes, it's a little bit different, but if you start to count, you know, soil, trees, water as part of the community, it kind of opens that up again, right? So even though we're, we're working on residential landscapes or with residential clients that come into the nursery, those people are the property managers for their own little patches. And so if we can get that message out there and help all of these individuals, that's going to help that greater land ethic, you know,
1: Uh, that plays right into what some of the very early, uh, discussions that Eva and I had when we first started talking about this podcast, you know, I'm a commercial arborist. Uh, I was at our yard this morning, uh, picking, through for a few pieces of firewood and then inevitably I'm drawn to this mountain of logs that grows every 10 days and you can recognize the logs that are in there, tulip poplar, ash, oak, ailanthus, but no exaggeration. The log truck comes in and unloads every day Mm -hmm. And then every couple weeks we have a logging company come in and take our logs away. So it's a huge amount of biomass and I register that right away talking about connecting the dots that some canopy has gone missing. And Mm -hmm. in some respects, it really doesn't matter where it's happening. It's just happening, connecting dots is the theme, I guess, but you're working in the residential marketplace to get people educated.
2: Right, right. And probably because of my training at PHS, that educational piece is so important. And so it feels like everything I do, it's it's with that explanation or that, that you know, and it seems to be um, the, the clients and the customers that have come into Redbud, um, I love talking to them about, you know, how you plant a tree and answering their questions. And it's interesting because things that seem so simple and basic, people are so appreciative for that information. It's mm-hmm. like they're reconnecting to something and you know, you've given them something. And it just it makes you feel really good that you're able to, to share that. And that now they're gonna take that knowledge and go back to their yard. Maybe they'll tell their neighbor, maybe their neighbor will do it. And not just for the nursery, but for the sake of having you know six more trees out there, right?
1: Right, and inevitably, species or plant bias creeps into it a little bit but I feel like I'm starting to see more and more like of the young white oaks or black gum coming into the landscape and a few less Bradford pears and flowering cherries. Now, I just showed my cards in terms of plant bias, but again, to be able to recommend the trees that are gonna give the great canopy and be host to pollinators and a whole group of insects is, it's it, I, the word I always use is heartening, but it it, it creates optimism for me.
2: Me
0: too. Yeah. I, I think that um, you know the largest parcels of land are owned by private people, and you know when we think about all the privately owned property, if we could make an impact there, that would make a huge difference in stormwater management, in how we um, cool our homes, um, whether we have solar panels on our homes or not. Or whether we make space for them or you know we, we position the tree in the right place so that we can have solar panels on our house. You know, those kind of things I think about all the time. And you know, tree planting is 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 just like having a heater. You have to have a heater. You should always have to have a tree um, because that also mm-hmm. provides the cooling and the and the comfort that comes with that tree, especially during hot summer days.
1: So we started this podcast uh, and almost at the same time, um, plant a trillion trees really became a meme and a hashtag. But as I play with that term, and even I bat it around more and more, to me it's really saying plant a trillion trees in urban areas, in the highly populated areas. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got to sit in on a presentation that uh, PHS uh, and uh, Tree Philly had put together on Hunting Park, which I guess oh. has the distinction mm-hmm. of being the hottest neighborhood in yes. the city. And you seem like a great person, Julie, to ask this question. is You live in South Philly. You look at tree pits. You've been looking at tree pits for your career. And when I first started uh, with the Hort Society way, way back, it was a three by three. Lately, I've been thinking, wouldn't it be great to just have a day long symposium on let's redesign this tree pit, let's redesign the curb, let's redesign the actual parking area to really create more soil volume and root zone. Any thoughts along those lines?
2: um yes
1: let's do it (laughs) um my thoughts
2: are that trees we're asking trees to perform many functions and the hunting park study what you just mentioned being really a hot neighborhood because of the lack of tree cover that's a a great example to focus on because if there was tree cover there it would be vastly different using that as an example i think is is really is really key but What I think is that we're asking trees to perform a function, an infrastructure function. And the city's getting better. Philadelphia Water, right? They've established um, new stormwater regulations, uh, made it a utility, right? So there are new uh, practices by the Water Department that is focused on green infrastructure, right? And part of that are stormwater tree trenches. What I think is good about that is it's a utility, so it's infrastructure, and so in that way it needs to be funded. It needs to be planned for and budgeted for and maintained over time, just like any other infrastructure would need. So if we look at trees as actual infrastructure, if we really truly look at trees as infrastructure, instead of just saying, oh it's a tree, it'll do its thing, you know, and we'll get a deal on this on this cooling stormwater management thing, we're not gonna get a deal if we don't take care of it. Yeah. If it's if we wanted to perform that function, we have to budget for that and fund it and have the skilled people out there taking care of those trees. And then we get amazing benefits back. We get so much back. And that you know, that neighborhood would be transformed.
1: Heatwise. And the transformation is, you know, I guess all of us love this dream of a transformed neighborhood. And you mentioned continuous pits. I just wonder if that day is coming because I was through um, Hunting Park a few weeks ago running an errand and quite frankly, if I look at uh, a, a single block and I, I think that usually might mean um, 20 row houses on either side, if there's six calorie pairs, ultimately that's just not, enough bang for the buck you know right. so i'm i'm asking it in terms of the the design challenge so that we you know you really could have a serious amount of shade on a day like today which is you know high humidity bright right. sun yeah. and temperatures creeping up into the high 80s right
2: the water department's you know the detail for the stormwater tree trench they you know it's we're learning, it's, it's changing, you know, we're getting better at it, but it is a stormwater management feature versus a, a tree planting detail that is going to maintain that tree for a long time. The okay, so makes,
1: just quickly, yeah. so you're, you're saying that the trees are not necessarily secondary, but they're com- a component of a, of a bigger system.
2: Yes, and so I don't think we're there yet in getting, in getting it all to work together. Um, at least this is my opinion, <laughs> when I see the detail and like how much stone they need to use versus the amount of soil, uh, just because to get the capacity, the holding capacity, and that's understood, right? But we, I guess we have to like have the next iteration. How do we account for enough soil to allow the trees to really, you know, mature, grow to maturity and perform their function or grow to what we, you know, are targeting them to grow?
0: Say so The maximization of... Uh, the function of the tree and the tree itself um, you have to get to that point where everything is operating in optimal conditions and
2: right
0: I think that if we were to take another look at that and you're just talking about stormwater, but then if we were to take a look at the uh, effects of of trees on human health and human health and mental states I mean that alone should force us to want to plant trees more, you know, despite mm-hmm. stormwater, you know, yes, or including stormwater or including, um, you know, conservation of energy overall. Those are things that you think about. And I know that there's a new, uh, new website called plant a trillion trees, and it's mainly bureaucratic officials that have pushed for this. And I think that at that, that point, I do believe that infrastructure will follow throughout the United States for trees. Everybody has to be on board. It can't just be one group. It can't be just two groups. It has to be a buy-in by everyone. Of course, in the city of Philadelphia, the, the water department uh, works very well with the city and looks at the issues that are there. And, uh, and I think that we can solve a lot of problems by planting trees in in systems that you're talking about. But we also have to look at them as as, as receiving other benefits. Right. There are stacks and
2: stacks of, you know, the research is, is really piling up on how good, you know, green is for us, right? And it's very, it's vast. It's from just a, elevating our mood to really affecting our, our health. And there was one study recently, I think it was a nature Conservancy, they funded a, a study focused on trees as infrastructure and as like a nece- it's necessary to have them. It isn't a luxury anymore, it's necessary. And there was one place that they profiled, and I can't remember where it was, but it talked about funding from the healthcare sector. And because of the proven benefits, yep. healthcare sector is like if we fund, you know, up to this amount. It, it, so that the idea there is bringing those different disciplines and you know different different fields together, um, which you wouldn't normally put together. But you know the healthcare pharmaceutical industry, if they could get behind tree planting, then we would be somewhere right. Tree planting and maintenance in cities, because it's going to bring down healthcare costs overall and lessen the burden on the system, right?
1: Right. Reduce yeah. a little bit of the asthma, and as you say, green. Touching trees improves outlook and mood.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Could we, could
1: we give our audience a, a overview on stormwater management and why we do it in Philadelphia.
2: Sure. So Philadelphia, like many uh, northeastern um, cities, old cities, um, we have a combined sewer system, meaning the wastewater and the sanitary sewer are in one pipe, and so um, when when it's not raining when it's a nice sunny day that system works perfectly the wastewater goes down the pipe and then if it rains a little bit you know that's okay too but because we've built up our cities with so much paving and buildings and roads and impervious surfaces overall the load on that system has increased so when it's raining now the velocity and the volume of the stormwater goes into that combined pipe and it needs; it would be too much for the system to handle. So there has to be an outlet. And so there are things called stormwater overflows. And so when there's so much velocity and volume going through the pipe, there are certain places where it outfalls into our rivers. And so the EPA has mandated, you have to clean up these this pollution points, you cities that are doing this. And so Philadelphia has decided to take the approach of doing green infrastructure and, and valuing that over what the water commissioner used to call big ass tanks, you know, so bats, so in the ground, you know, like big underground structures. So instead of Systems, relying, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So instead of relying primarily on that, we're relying on a disparate, right? A system that's all across the city, smaller interventions, sort of to puncture little bit of holes to allow infiltration. So we have a stormwater trench here, we have a rain garden here, we have an infiltration bed over here. And we maximize that as much as we can across the city, and we're able to lessen the pressure on the stormwater system as it is. Philadelphia is very low-lying, right? So it's um, very close to sea level, and there's, a lot, there's different areas of the city where there's flooding is a serious problem. So it's really important. Stormwater is, a, is, a, is right top of mind. It's one of our most important things that you know, Philadelphia utilities have to deal with. And it's pretty uh visionary for philadelphia to decide to do the green infrastructure to take that approach versus the other way because other cities are taking the other way the advantage of the green infrastructure is you get the benefits right away right you start the system starts working right away it doesn't take 20 years to build it and then it goes online so it's more affordable it's operational more quickly it starts working and it involves community and education, which I think is is key, right? So it starts to connect you back to the to the cycle, right? The hydrology cycle, understanding the rainfalls, where does it go from there, and how
0: I'm impacting that. Yeah. Well, so in in wrapping up our conversation today, um, <laughs> you know, I was I was thinking uh, as you were talking that. Your your background and your, uh, your work is actually very much like that stormwater system where you're pulling all the knowledge that you have and your holistic background into the ideas that are needed today to help stormwater runoff and to help trees survive within the the hot city environments and, and you're able to uh, do that because of the knowledge that you have from all the different things that you've done with your background.
1: Before we let Julie go, uh, since she's always a resource of the new next big thing, can you give a shout out to the organization that you're involved with? You've been very helpful in steering me towards NOFA over the years, Northeastern yep. Organic Farmers Association. And I hope they're going strong. What's the other environmental group you've been working with?
2: Uh, ELA, that's the Ecological Landscape Alliance. Okay. Yeah. And um, I'm on the board this this year, just this year of ELA. And in the past, I've also helped with um, a local conference, a mid-Atlantic conference that happens in uh, the fall. And this year, it's going to be online, of course, but the upside of that is it doesn't have to just be local. If we could have a wider audience and the headliner for that is Emma Maris. It's called resiliency and landscapes. I'm going to get the title wrong, but anyway, the, the day it's a great lineup on a ship actually from GSI, green stormwater partners will be speaking as well. And Emma Maris, if you don't know her, she's an environmental writer. She's, she's a journalist and she uh, focuses on the environment. And she's got some really interesting ideas. And she talks about, you know, what is a novel ecosystem? What is this? How do, why do we disregard that nature just to get to that nature? You know, what is the idea of a wilderness, that sort of thing. But anyway, that's coming up and ELA is a great educational resource. They have different membership levels and tons and tons of of content and webinars and other things
0: going on.
1: Fantastic.
0: I'm really glad that you could be with us today, Julie, and um, we really hope that everything goes well for your new nursery and continue to grow in a media um, with your Redbud nursery. And um, I I can't think of a better person to have on our show.
1: Yeah, I can't (laughs) wait to have you back, maybe even next week. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you, ma'am. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again, Julie. Bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye.